I'm Carol Cohn, and welcome to Purpose 360, the podcast that unlocks the power of purpose to ignite business and social impact. I'd like to start my conversation about New York life with a quote from the president of their foundation. The selfless actions of our people reflect our value of humanity and our shared belief that New York life not only has the ability, but also the responsibility to help people in the communities where we live and work. The history of New York life is about being there when they are needed for their customers, for the thousands of communities where they work and live. Their agents, which currently they have between 12 and 13,000, um, contributed almost 125,000 hours of volunteer work in 2021. The foundation has contributed nearly $360 million since its founding in 1979. And it has a focus on educational enhancement and helping children who have suffered the loss of a loved one. The other thing that the company really focuses on, and you're going to hear this again and again from Heather, is that they're always building a caring and committed workforce. People come to work at New York Life to contribute to the financial goals of millions of families and businesses every single day. They have a diverse nationwide workforce that allows them to support the communities where they work, and that's across the country. In today's conversation, we're going to talk about a new pillar that is being added to the wonderful work of the foundation and how it is not dilutive, but how it builds off of the other elements. Heather has such amazing um, insights to share that you should definitely join us because um, New York Life, 177 years old, they think in quarters. So welcome back to the show, Heather. Thank you so much, Carol. It's great to be here. And I feel really honored for, uh, for the three people. Well, there aren't a lot of people. I'm just going to mention to our listeners, Heather was in the first 10 episodes in 2018. So she was really giving us a, a large runway and a lot of belief that this was going to be fantastic. And then she came back um, uh, right after my birthday um, in June 2020 during COVID because we wanted to find out truly what um, New York Life was doing during COVID. And they did some wonderful things. So there are very few of our over 130 episodes that are a three-peat. So that's a key to our listeners. You should pay attention because this woman has a lot of great things to share. Um, I'd also like to embarrass Heather a little bit because in 2018, she won the Charlie Award from um, Chief Executives for Corporate Purpose. And that is given to the corporate affairs leader, who demonstrates perseverance in the pursuit of societal advancement. And let me tell you, CECP, which if your organization is not a member, you should join. It's CEOs have to join, and then they have their various foundation leadership and their CR leadership um, attend key meetings. This is not an award that's given lightly. 
It's truly given to a wonderful person. So, Heather, congratulations on that. And I know that it's uh, still on your LinkedIn page and resume. So um, I'm sure it's an award that's that you carry with great pride. Yeah, thank you. It, it was a, a really nice honor to receive. So let's get into it. So, um, Heather, for those who aren't familiar with our previous episodes, can you share a little bit of about what those episodes were about, but also about your role at New York Life? Sure. So I've been at New York Life for almost nine years now, and it's been a terrific run. Um, I've throughout those years, I've run the foundation and now I have responsibility for our ESG reporting and strategy. So the role has evolved, which has been really nice. And in prior episodes, I think we've discussed our childhood bereavement focus, which is relatively unique to uh, New York Life Foundation. And we focus on helping children and their families have an adaptive response once they've lost a loved one. Uh, I think we also, as you mentioned, talked about our response to COVID and the Brave of Heart Fund in particular that we helped to found with Cigna, which provided grants for the family members of healthcare workers who died, really protecting the rest of us. Um, as we went through, you know, really the early stages of COVID. And that was so aligned. I mean, I think there's there's a throughput in terms of all the work that Heather does with her team at New York Life. And there's tremendous alignment. It's focused, but it also innovates in the core um, social issues. And And Heather, how do you get that? How do you build that muscle? You know, I think, what we, I mean, I think probably most people would say this, but we really try to be authentic in everything we do at the company. You know, we are a mutual life insurance company, and that really means a lot to us. And as a mutual, you know, we don't have outside investors or owners. We're uniquely aligned with our clients' interests, interests and priorities. Uh, our customers are our owners, essentially. And so it really allows us to be focused from a business perspective on the long term. You know, we like to say here that we don't think in quarters, we think in quarter centuries. And so we really translate that into the foundation. And so we we have the luxury because our leadership and our workforce believe so so heavily in the work that we do to think about how we can make long-term impact and to engage them and bring them along with us. And so, you know, we we again have the time to make decisions that feel right and that align with what we're trying to achieve. And the fact that we have so much support internally allows that to be even more authentic. And I love quarter century because you are 177 years old. Did I get that right? Years young. That's young. Right. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> years. Well, you act very spry all the time. So, so that's <laughs> really great. Just historically talk about a little bit more on the two pillars of your focus, because um, it's, you know, life insurance is related to when, unfortunately, a member of your family passes. And child bereavement is not an easy subject, but you have embraced it with such authenticity. So can you share with our listeners who didn't listen to the first podcast um, a little bit about that work to start? Sure. So historically, we've had two focus areas. One is childhood bereavement and the other is educational, an educational focus in the middle school space. And they're both really tied to the mission of the company, which is, you know, to provide financial security and peace of mind through our products and services. And when you think about financial security, we chose to focus in the middle school space because we know from research that when children make a successful transition to high school, get to ninth grade on time and on grade level, they're four times more likely to graduate on time and have post-secondary success. And what does that lead to? That leads to financial security, making more money over the course of their lifetime. 
So that's clearly in the wheelhouse of what we're trying to do with our products and services. And on the childhood bereavement side, you know, our agents are there to provide a check, to provide some financial security at one of the most difficult times in a person's life. And extending that at the foundation, we're looking, looking to help, you know, with that emotional support through funding direct service providers, research on the best ways to um, provide comfort and hope um, and coping skills. And so we're really, again, extending the focus of the company through the foundation. And you, you've done some wonderful um, products, per se. For example, the golden sweater, Kai's golden sweater. And can you talk a l- little bit about that? And, and rumor has it there's a fourth book coming out. That is true. So, yeah, we, we worked with our partners in our marketing department to develop a three-book series called Kai's Journey a few years ago. And it focuses on a young boy named Kai who lost his father. And the first book is called The Golden Sweater. And in it, he finds a sweater of his father's and he finds comfort in wearing that and security um, in the memory of his father in that sweater. The second book is A Girl with a Locket, and it focuses on Kai going to bereavement camp, which is one of, you know, we have a lot of partners that provide that service. And he meets a girl who really isn't participating, kind of shy, and it turns out she lost her sister. But she finds comfort in that peer support that bereavement camp can provide through her friendship with Kai and the activities that they offer. And then the third book in the series is The Fishless Lake. And that is about um, Kai getting a little bit older and starting to feel like he's maybe forgetting some parts of his relationship and some parts of his father. And so his mother ends up taking him on a trip that he used to take with his father to help rekindle those memories and bring back, you know, all those warm and positive thoughts, which is, you know, celebrating traditions is a really, really nice way of sort of honoring and remembering the people that we've lost. And you're right, we are currently working on a fourth book that's going to follow Kai to middle school. So it'll be a different book um, that is focused on a different age range. But the same kinds of uh, things will be offered. So we always have a discussion guide so that teachers and families are able to talk through the book's concepts with children. And we're going to have some fun and engaging ways that our own folks, our agents and employees, can engage with their communities through the books. You're always innovating and you're always providing, you're leading with the issue. You're not leading with New York life. You're leading with the issues, keeping them fresh. How do you defend against, you must have a few naysayers internally that go, no, 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 it's enough already. We don't need a fourth book. Let's go to a, oh, let's go to some other social issue. How do you defend that? So Carol, I have to say, I make all of my peers very jealous when I go to peer meetings because I I don't have to defend defend that. that. I say that. This is a unique company. Um, you know, when I joined and, and to this day, I describe it as a, a company with a soul. And, you know, we are never asked really to stop doing things. If anything, we're asked to do more. And, you know, if you think about it, we've got, you know, 12 to 13,000 agents that are out there talking to people about life insurance, providing, you know, again, financial support, speaking to people in their greatest time of need. And the resources that we provide through our bereavement focus help them too. So, you know, A, we're just all people and we all suffer loss. And this is all always helpful, I think, to anybody. But in our line of business, um, I don't think there's anybody that doesn't appreciate how important this is. And really similarly on the education front, you know, these our folks are embedded in their communities locally. You know, they work um, with their own children's school. They work with schools and communities um, on a lot of youth focused organizations. And so. You know, again, I have the luxury of not really having to defend that. If anything, it's just 
really working to make sure that we're making the right investments, that we're doing things the right way. Your agents, what kind of feedback do you get from them when they see um, the Kai series, when they see the the bereavement um, support resources? What do they say to you? We have a really engaged workforce across the board, employees and agents. But I can tell you, you know, we have a program called the Grief Sensitive Schools Initiative, which we've talked about before, which is where we actually train our agents to go to their local K through 12 schools, public or private, and just deliver um, a resource that tells the school that, that there are plenty of resources for them to utilize and help a child when they come back to the classroom after suffering a loss. We've trained upwards of 3,800 agents to do that, right? That is a huge percentage of our field force, definitely one of the, the biggest and best programs that we have. And, you know, some of them have gone to 20, 30, 40 schools. You know, part of it is that they themselves have often been affected by loss, but a lot of it is they just see how necessary and needed these resources are, and they're so well received. And the impact of that program has been tremendous. We've reached more than 2 million children. Um, we've trained more than you know 70,000 educators and administrators. And so our agents respond incredibly positively. And you know, I, I really have to shout out to them because being an agent is really hard. You know, there are no nine to five days for our agents. They're constantly working. They're constantly meeting with people. And yet they still find time to take the time to go out into their communities to do this work. And so it really is a labor of love. And it's integrated into why they do this in the first place. You know, this job has to be a mission. You have to believe in it in order to put the time and effort in to be successful. I mean, people don't want to talk about life insurance. And obviously you have a lot of other products, you know, retirement and other things. But this gives them an entire playing field of of goodness and importance and need um, to truly build their reputation and to build relationships with a customer or a community. Do you have any any stories that you might say, oh, well, this that an agent shared with you about the, their experience in this regard? We've had a lot of stories with, with various programs. I mean, we've, you know, helped our agents refer families to camps, and we've heard back that their children were transformed from that experience and that they wouldn't have known about it had their agent not connected them to that camp. You know, we've heard through, again, the GSSI program that, Schools have welcomed our agents to give the presentation and then a few weeks later experienced a loss. And they were so grateful that they had this resource at their fingertips that they didn't have to, you know, scurry and try to figure out how to approach it. They had been trained and they were prepared. Um, and then, you know, with the Brave of Heart Fund, we had so many of our agents um, reach out, take time to reach out to people in their community who they knew had lost a healthcare worker. And so many really inspiring stories of our agents connecting those people and they received, you know, forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars to help get them back on their feet after that loss. So we've we've had a tremendous amount of, you know, feedback and stories. And it's always so heartwarming to know that something that you're doing is is tangible and there's a real person you know, as a recipient of that work. And, and I think what you're saying is tangible and that there's a real person and that there's a, a tremendous amount of empathy and caring and, and such. So, so congratulations. It is brilliant. It is such a dimensionalized brand, New York life. So um, that's, that's wonderful. But you have a new pillar. You have a new focus now. Talk about the genesis of this third, and it focuses on social justice. It does. 
So we've, you know, we've always focused on underserved children and communities since the founding of the foundation in 1979. And we've worked really hard to embed social justice into both of those historical focus areas that we just discussed, but, and that will continue. But I think having a discrete additional funding stream allows us to have more flexibility outside of these two areas. And I have to emphasize that this is additional money. You know, we're not being asked to fund this third focus area through our current budget. This is recognized as an important new area for us with additional funding. And, you know, I think the genesis really, New York Life, like a lot of companies, um, you know, in, the, in recent years created a social justice steering committee and a social justice working group to take a holistic look at what was already in progress across the company in this area and to make recommendations to help to, us to continue to evolve. And some were related to the foundation and what more we could be doing from a philanthropic investment standpoint. Um, and as we discussed, you know, we really wanted our focus in this area to relate back to the focus of the company as we do in, in everything we look at so that we can also tap into all the skills and resources that we can bring to bear to this issue. So when we look at what New York Life offers to people through our products and services, financial security, protection, peace of mind, we want everyone to have access to those things. So for example, generational wealth will be a focus for us at the foundation. You know, we have a long history. We've talked about 177 years. Um, we also know that it's important to learn from history and to help grow. And so family history and genealogy, as well as the history of you know, BIPOC individuals and women who've made this country what it is today will also be a focus for us. And we also know that just as our folks at New York Life are constantly developing and honing their skills to be as effective at their jobs as they can possibly be, we know BIPOC leaders also need that capacity support. So we'll also look to utilize our time and our resources to help provide that support. Um, so like, you know, like everything else, we're really trying to be um, authentic, holistic, bring everything we can to bear in this focus area, but also use it as an opportunity to fund some things that perhaps we haven't been able to fund before. Mm. So talk about um, more of the depth of your support of generational wealth. Yeah. So, you know, we've had um, a number of conversations internally about how the company can support generational wealth. We made a large impact investment commitment in this area of a billion dollars. We're making exceptional progress there. And so the foundation is really looking at, you know, similar ways that we can help move the needle forward there. So, for example, in our impact investing space, you know, they're funding a lot of affordable housing projects. We may look at how we can support similar kinds of projects with philanthropic funding. So maybe first loss protection or, you know, allowing some of these companies to innovate um, before they go out to the market to get, you know, market support. Um, we're also looking at, you know, financial wellness and education, um, things like that, uh, educational equity. So there's a lot of different, you know, ways that we can, I think, help to fund that particular focus. Okay. So my head just snapped back because you said a billion. So <laughs> can can you talk about a little bit about that? Because obviously that's part of the business and investments from the business. And then also talk about this first loss protection, because I haven't heard about that. Sure. So the billion dollar commitment is a is a commitment from an investing standpoint. And so that's taking, you know, the money we have in our general account and making it work um, in the market, you know, for for proceeds, um, but doing it in a way that's focused on equitable outcomes. And so we're focused on affordable housing, on funding, you know, um, funds that are run and managed by BIPOC leadership. Um, and so we made that billion dollar commitment. We've made a lot of progress. I know we've Lacey can probably provide you with a ton of information about specific deals that we've done. Um, but it's been it's been a great you know opportunity for us to again 
be discreet about that. It's not that we haven't funded affordable housing in the past, but this helps us to be focused and to have a goal in mind and to make sure that we get there. Um, and when I just, when I mentioned first loss funding, you know, some of um, the deals that get done, let's say in affordable housing or in other areas like that, um, in order to be able to get market rate funding from traditional sources, they have to sort of have um, some, some cushion of grant funding that allows them to take the first loss in a deal, for example. So it protects the, the more traditional funders. And so, you know, you see a lot of foundations that will play that role in first loss funding for some of those large deals. Do you mix now this focus on generational wealth with your other two pillars or are they distinct? So I think, you know, the, the larger idea of social justice is certainly integrated and, and we've been integrating it for a long time. You know, I'll give you, I think, a really good example of really how all of the three pillars have been integrated in a recent grant that we've made with Hampton University um, at Howard University. And so we um, have provided them each with a million dollars and we've done some sort of more traditional focus funding around scholarships and internships. Um, but we've also established at both schools a bereavement fund for students who lose a parent or somebody close to them while they're at school. And that fund can serve to help them fly home to go to a memorial service or be with their family. It can also um, pay for fees and other costs that maybe that person was helping to fund, you know, the person who they lost, to make sure that they don't have to leave school because they've lost somebody. Um, we've also worked with Hampton in particular on a workshop that helps um, newer students, freshman students, on dealing with loss and transition because, you know, college is hard for everybody, right? It's a new start, new people, oftentimes a new location. But in particular, coming out of COVID, um, for students that have suffered a, a loss and a death, you know, those are some hard things to, to grapple with. And so we're working with Hampton to not just provide um, sessions and, and conversations about this, but also to make sure students know where they can turn to on campus to find resources, to make sure, again, that it doesn't have a negative effect on their college experience. Because in order to get to that equity that we talked about in the generational wealth, you know, you have to be able to graduate college and you have to be able to make more money over the course of your lifetime. And so some of these things can really hamper and hold students back. We also have at both schools um, a fund that helps to pay for small fees that are owed so that students can actually graduate and get their diploma and that $400,000, $500,000 isn't holding them back from that final graduation. That's brilliant. That's so nuanced and so smart. Um, that again, I, I hope our listeners, you're seeing all these threads that are tying back together. This isn't unfocused. This is supremely focused. So um, congratulations to you, Heather. Um, why those two universities? Why Hampton and Howard, considering there are lots of wonderful HBCUs? Yeah, really, that's, I think, just the, the beginning of our relationship. We're looking to expand to other HBCUs, and we do have some other relationships. But, you know, they they had an interest in some of the work that we were doing. Um, they've been a pleasure to work with. And so, you know, we're hoping that's really just the beginning of how we can sort of expand some of those those projects and initiatives to other schools. I love that you said they're a pleasure to work with. So I'm going to just jump right on that one. For our not-for-profit leaders, um, and managers who are listening to this, what, is, what does it mean to be a pleasure to work with and really responsive? I would call out, for example, from Hampton, Dr. Felicia Blow, who, who we work with very closely. Um, not only is she responsive and just you know, gets back all the, the paperwork, 
um, she's always looking for additional ways to improve our program. She's always bringing in other people from the university who she thinks might have an interest or might have a role to play in making it better. And she's personally invested. You know, she shows up to these programs. And like any good development person, always has new ideas for ways that we can increase our funding and increase our engagement. But really, when I say she's a pleasure to work with, it's true. I mean, I think that we both um, share a passion for the work that we do. You can see she is really trying to make Hampton the best school it could possibly be and really looking to take advantage of all the resources that can be brought to bear. And so it's, it really is a pleasure to work with her. And we're excited to expand and extend you know, that relationship further. Well, that, that's that's really wonderful. I want to ask you about your your addition of your ESG role, and because that's happening a lot, um, I'm, I'm getting emails from friends going, "Hey, I just I just got this whole new ESG assignment. What do I do? Where do I start?" So, what was it like when it was given to you, and how was it advanced? And again, any insights for your peers, because it's such a rapidly evolving place. And a part of it is also politicized. Um, so please share how, you know, how you're addressing it. You know, my first, I think, major role within the ESG conversation was when we conducted our first materiality assessment back in 2017. Um, and that's a really good starting point for folks who are new to this role, which is really like anything else, any other approach you would have to a business you know, um, situation you want to understand what's the most meaningful to you. What's the most material to the company? Where should you be focusing your resources and talent? And so that's what a materiality assessment does. It really goes out to your main stakeholders, including your own employees and in our case, agents to say, you know, of all these, you know, issues, um, what do you think is most important for New York life, for the life insurance sector? Um, and, and where does the focus need to be? And it doesn't mean that all the areas identified are areas where you have to improve. You could be spot on and fantastic in most of them, but it does tell you, you know, where you're likely to see more questions and more um, inquiries and where you need to put, you know, again, more, more focus. And so I think that's a good place to start. So a lot of the work has been focused around disclosure and making sure that we're telling our story and getting information out to the people that want that information. Um, how about benchmarking? How important was benchmarking to you? And did you, obviously, other mutual um, fund, uh, mutual insurers, but then also what about any others that you're most admired, per se? Across the board, we're always benchmarking against not just our mutual peers, best in class, because we consider ourselves to be best in class. And so I think that's part of really, you know, any effort and, and part of the materiality process is, is just that, is to benchmark and see sort of where you where you lie. Um, you know, you do get these sort of reports from various raters and rankers. And so that gives one one perspective on where you may be. And then I think, again, conversations with your stakeholders. I mean, those are the people that um, know you the best, that care about you. And, you know, it's that dialogue that is so important to make sure people understand your thoughts and your thinking on the various issues, the progress that you've made and what you're committing to in the future. So you're enjoying the expansion of your role. I am. It's in some ways all encompassing. You know, there. Um, I remember I, I heard someone explain ESG before that it used to be um, non-financial issues, and now it's pre-financial issues. <laughs> you know, if you're okay, not addressing great. them, they become financial issues. And so, you know, it's nice. It's very relevant to the business. We get to work across the company, which is always fantastic. We have so many 
smart people working on these issues internally. It's just, uh, it's great. And and what's your point of view on, I mean, ESG is smart and it's a way to alleviate risk and to, and to prep for the future and to really protect yourself and add value for the long term. But then you've got the hijacking of ESG investing and, you know, the woke capitalism. And unfortunately, it's been politicized you know, red state, blue state. Um, what's your point of view of getting dragged into any of that? Or, you know, how do you how do you advise your CEO? Yeah, I mean, I think there are a lot of issues that unfortunately have been politicized lately. I think, you know, our view is really about knowing what's important to our stakeholders, what's important to our employees, our agents, our customers, our regulators, you know, and going from there. So it's not about one particular political point of view. It's just thinking about, what is going to keep us sustaining as the strong company we've been for 177 years? I, I would argue it's nothing different than what we've really done over those 177 years, which is just be prepared. You know, I mean, that's that's what we do. We're, again, here for quarter centuries. And so we have to be sure that we're up to date and, you know, following trends and understanding all the issues that will confront us. Be prepared. That, that's and I, I love your runway of 177 years. That's so cool. So as we wind down with all of these pearls of wisdom, um, can you share with our listeners the power of focus and how you you've got now three pillars? They do intertwine. But how do you stay focused? So you must have the new person that comes in at the senior level and they want to do something else. And so any sort of, um, again, wisdom how to stay focused, how to stay fresh and sustain um, your depth of commitment? Yeah, I think it's a lot easier to stay focused and to sort of answer those questions about potential new areas when the areas you've chosen make so much sense, right? And so we've talked about how we've chosen the areas we've chosen, the buy-in we have across the company. So it's not just coming from me as the president of the foundation, it's really across the board. You know, our CEO is the chair of our foundation board. Um, my boss, you know, who's the um, chief operating officer of the company is um, on the board. And so, you know, people have, we've considered this thoughtfully. We've, you know, made the decision to make the investment and people at New York Life understand that and they appreciate it. But I do think it's important to take the time to explain why we've chosen these areas, what it means, examples of sort of the, you know, the innovative, we like to think, you know, programs that we've that we've done doesn't hurt to get some nice earned media to get some recognition for those things, because then people can also see the value in that. Um, and then to involve our employees and agents, you know, they are internal champions. So once they become involved in the programs, they really take off and you don't have to worry about justifying it in any way. And, and I would be remiss if I didn't ask your volunteerism hours were still really strong during COVID. How did, what did you shift? Cause you couldn't put people out in the field per se. That's right. So what was your secrets to that? How are you evolving your volunteerism? We hit our, our high, I think about 145,000 hours in 2019, right before COVID. And then we dipped, you know, considerably in 2020, as most people did, but we were back up to 125,000 hours last year in part because our folks, you know, have stayed engaged and they're, and they're very, very committed, but in part because we also adjusted and we created a program that we call Acts of Kindness. And so what that meant was we knew, you know, we had a lot of people that were tied to traditional volunteering, working with nonprofits for years and years in their community who were being told to stay home. And, you know, we listened and we did that. 
But we also knew that that didn't mean they weren't doing things. They were out checking on their neighbors. They were out grocery shopping. They were doing park cleanups in their community when the sanitation department couldn't get there. And we wanted to recognize that and make sure that they were still rewarded. So we decided that for every act of kindness somebody did, we would give them a cause card, which is, you know, like a gift card to charity for $17.50. And so people could get those cause cards for doing those acts of kindness. We also added a civic engagement piece to that because, again, part of our focus on social justice, this was a holistic review across the company. So in addition to the grant making, we said, if you attend one of our DEI sessions that one of our ERG groups is putting on or our DEI center, if you um, participate in a get out to vote, you know, effort, we'd also give you an act of kindness and a cause card in, um, in celebration of that work. And so that really did help bolster some of the hours during that downtime. And it's a program that we're going to continue because, A, we're still in sort of a hybrid work environment, but we really like that idea. You know, we're a mutual company and the rise of mutual societies, mutual aid societies was huge during COVID. And so we really see a lot of the similarities of, you know, are people helping people within their community, even if it's not through a traditional nonprofit, it's still the kind of service and engagement that we want to celebrate. Oh, that's that's beautiful. That's it's it's just so smart. So unfortunately, we have to wind this down. But I always like to turn the mic over to you so that you have the last word or word. So what would you like to share that you haven't? Well, I think we've covered a lot of things. I mean, there are a lot of things that we're really looking forward to. So we'll have to come back for a four Pete. Uh, <laughs> Uh, we're working on a program um, in the workplace, actually, around bereavement support. So we're piling it ourselves at New York Life. You know, we recently expanded last year our own bereavement policy from five days to 15, allowing people to determine who a loved one is to them. So it doesn't have to be a traditional sort of parent or, you know, um, child. People love who they love, and they should be able to grieve those people as well. And really looking at what kinds of supports and tips we can give to managers, for example, when they have, um, you know, some of their direct reports go out on leave or lose somebody. How can you help um, ease them back into the workplace? What other supports can you provide? And once we pilot that here at New York Life, we're going to offer that free of charge to other companies who want to offer that to their own employees. We're really excited about that. Uh, we mentioned the Kai's Journey, the fourth book that we're also very excited about. And the last thing I'd say I'm personally excited about is my Mets are in the postseason. So let's go Mets. <laughs> That's great. I love it. Let's go Mets. Well, as a former Long Islander, um, I was a big Mets fan. And so I'll say let's go Mets. So Heather, this has been so great. Um, you never disappoint. There is just so much wisdom in how you approach and you truly live the values and the integrity of um, being a mutual company. So thank you so much. And we can't wait to see the fourth book about Kai and hopefully the Mets are going to win. So thank you so much. It's been a wonderful conversation. Thanks, Carol. Thanks for having me again. This podcast was brought to you by some amazing people, and I'd love to thank them. Anne Hundertmark and Kristen Kenny at Carol Cohn on Purpose, Pete Wright and Andy Nelson, our crack production team at True Story FM, and you, our listener. You know, we love hearing from you, so please give us feedback. Let us know names of people you'd like to hear on a future episode. How about some new questions to ask? And also, please rate and rank us because we really want 
to be as high as possible as one of the top business podcasts available so that we can continue exploring together the importance and the activation of authentic purpose. We all know every company, every brand, every not-for-profit must define their purpose, refine it, and activate it, and evolve it over time so it has the greatest impact on business, growth, and society. And by listening to these episodes and sharing them with your colleagues and talking about them, I want to inspire you to have an amazing answer to this question. What is the power of your purpose? Thanks so much for listening.